0: the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This.
1: This is is AV AV Nation. This is AV Nation.
2: This is AV AV Week. Episode 185, recorded Friday, March 6th, 2015. Net Mob Mentality. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week online. This is AV Week. A-V. AV AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tom Albright. I am your host. With us this week is Josh Shruggo from ICS and SoundReason.org. How are you, sir?
3: Doing well. Ready to see the weekend after Tampa and Infocom Connections. It's been a, uh, a crazy couple of days.
2: Yeah, we're going to have to talk about Infocom Connections and the fact that you survived uh, a panel with Mr. Uh, Mister Danto. So uh...
3: I did. And not him, not just him, but uh, many, many industry veter- veterans, uh, uh, like Paul Deberschmidt as well.
2: I didn't realize Paul was on there. Very cool. Awesome. awesome.
3: Yes, I was. He he and I had lovely conversations on the panel.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, also with us is Don Mead from NetAV. How are you, Madam?
0: Very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, and we're going to talk about uh, something exciting that Don did as well. Um, technically last week, but we posted it this week, so it's kind of cool. Uh, and last but not least, be nice to him because he's brand new. His name is Bill, uh, and Bill is from uh A-view awakenings he is a partner there how are you sir happy friday to you
1: yay
2: uh bill and um Shaga are both from the west coast don's in the east coast and <clears throat> i'm the big dumb american uh, right there in the middle um first up before we get started uh AV Nation is kind of a family and um something cool Happened to one of our family members this week uh, Our buddy Matt D. Scott From London, Ontario uh, And Omega Audio Video uh, He and his lovely bride Welcome to their first child Cohen D. Scott uh, To uh, to the uh, AV community So we have a new uh, An up and coming AV uh, geek on the way so Well,
3: let's not forget lo-fi
2: What well, lo-fi is still not Happened yet So just, yeah, Explain what Mr. Strzok is talking about um, our buddy Phil Cordell, Hi-Fi uh, is what he's called, uh, is the only uh, AV rapper that I'm aware of. His, uh, his partner, his lovely bride, is also expecting, but they have not had uh, said baby yet.
3: There was a video that went out this morning that showed they were on their way, though. She was in hospital gown.
2: She was in hospital gown, but it has still not uh, taken place yet. So, uh, And actually, uh, stupid, this is uh, I'm, I'm rabbit-trailing here. So there was three gentlemen that was involved in our uh, AV selfie video last year in Vegas. Hi-Fi, Phil Cordell, Matt Scott, and our buddy Josh Pippins, who was our our videographer. Uh, He's a a good longtime friend of mine, but good kid. Um, I'm just going to say that that all three of them, uh, their wives ended up pregnant. Um, Not sure what that has to say with about the water or whatever in Vegas or what have you. So What
0: that tells you is if you want to have a kid, be in an A-B Nation video and <laughs>
2: yes, there magic you go. happens. Magic, ma- something, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, yeah, congratulations uh, to Mr., uh, Mr. and Mrs. Scott there. Uh, a couple of Amazon stories to get us started this week. First up, uh, this is from CNET. The Amazon App Store is nearing 400,000 apps on quote-unquote huge progress. Uh, This is from CNET. The e-commerce giant has been behind Apple and Google in the App Store race, though it's taken steps to improve its offering, and those are starting to pay off. Uh, Mr. Strogo, one of the things that uh, has kind of developed over the last few years, my full-time job, I run a programming house out of St. Louis, is the mobile a uh, form of control and, and automation, at least when it comes to Crestron, AMX, Extron, everybody else and their brother has a mobile device, has a mobile app. I am not aware of an Amazon Fire specific app, though they may, they may exist. Is it time uh, with this number of, of downloads and this number of apps on the, on the Amazon App Store for Crestron and AMX and, and the other uh, big players to start looking at that as a viable mobile option?
3: is it time? Yeah. Well, it's never not the time to explore an open opportunity where you could put something that people are utilizing on a daily basis. I mean, that's just good business. Uh whether or not they're actually going to invest those efforts is an entirely different thing. Yeah. The fact is, you know, you look at 400,000 apps and that's great. Look at the Windows, look at look at the Windows Store. I mean, you I'm I'm sitting here on my Surface Pro 3 and you know what the apps that are available for it are still pretty limited when it comes to the stuff that I use on a daily basis. Um, but the benefit of it is that I don't have to use an app, so it's that's kind of that upside. Uh, so it's a business avenue that that's always worth exploring. Whether or not they're going to see any real returns, I mean, I'd be really curious to see what kind of real returns they're seeing on their apps right now between Extron, AMX, and Crestron as to what they're actually getting, Um, whether or not it is profitable for them at this point. Because as many people like to point out, they are touch panel sellers that are losing their market to better touch panels from places like Apple and places like uh, Microsoft who are making much, much better panels, and now we're putting an app on them. So, yeah, it's worth it for the investment, but I don't think it's going to get the return that would they would get from a piece of hardware.
2: Okay. Uh, Bill, from your standpoint and your point of view, uh, Josh makes a good point bringing up the, the Microsoft Surface, which he's, he is personally a big fan of. Um, I, I'm still actually uh, in, in discussions with one of my programmers who wants to move to that platform. Uh, to program on um, I know there are some people who do and I'm not you know again this is a discussion <laughs> um, but does does these or does does it make sense to um, go down these other I'm going to call them ancillary roads because they're not as, pop, as, as, as popular as the Android platform or the iOS platform whether that's a, a Windows mobile phone, the Surface, the Amazon the Amazon Fire tablet. Does it make sense to go down those roads?
1: It, it might, um, if we're speaking specifically on the Amazon Fire tablet, because that's the, uh, the, the article that we were referring to here. The thing we have to remember about the Amazon Fire tablet is it's an Android device with a skin on it. So the development it would not necessarily be an overhaul. Um, what they really need to do is they just need to modify the Android application that they're writing for that device, but also remember that we need to not necessarily think of the Amazon Fire Tablet as a tablet, other than for content consumption. It really isn't an iPad. It really isn't us It certainly isn't a Surface Pro. Uh, it's a. It's a really, really awesome Kindle that has skinned. Android apps on it that have been semi-modified for the for the Fire UI. Now, that said, what I think would be valuable would be for these companies, Crestron, Control 4, Savant, AMX, et cetera, to consider um, writing stuff for the Surface. I think that, that product is definitely going to gain some serious traction. It's got a really good following. I think it's only going to grow. Um, and certainly there's uh, no limitation to uh, in terms of the, the hardware capabilities of a Surface to run any level of app that they want to develop for it so yes i think it's time that the companies start to start to seriously give consideration beyond uh ios and and uh typical android i'm just not sure that because you got to also remember these companies have to play their software development based on the numbers what are they going to get in return for it and if the uh if the investment in programming is going to be equal to writing for iOS or writing for Android, they need to be able to get a return on that investment. Um, I don't see it going to Amazon Fire, but I could see it uh, landing on, on Surface Pro pretty quickly as, a, as an app, perhaps.
2: All right, uh, Dawn, to, to Bill's point, uh, is this uh, is, is it the Surface uh, as the next step?
0: Um, you know, the Surface is great, and I think the newer Surfaces, they're getting rid of the, the kind of exclusive, non-compatible Surface, I, I don't remember the exact flight RT or something like that. When it was RT, it ran and the new one runs regular windows. Um, something like that. Yeah, I mean, Harry, Av, Mr. AV Dawn is looking at getting a surface, you know, he thinks it's a fantastic option. Um, I, I think that they should have options available from the manufacturers for those. But uh, regarding the Raider question, is, is it gonna be Amazon? I, I don't think so. And I mean, I'm an Amazon fan. I actually own a first generation Kindle fire before they put in uh, Bluetooth and made it useful back when it was basically just a glorified reader with some, a couple of apps. I love it for its purpose. I also own an Android tablet separate from that. That's actually used for productivity things. So, you know, God bless Amazon. They're awesome. They're great at what they do, but you know, stick with what you do. Don't try to be everything to everyone. Um, I, I, I personally think what the manufacturers need to do is make a bigger effort all manufacturers make a bigger effort at building just Android apps, even before we get to the surface. Because as it is, if you look at the app stores, way more apps are available, and way more useful apps are available on iFormat, despite the fact that as of what, uh, third or fourth quarter of 2014, 70 to 75% of the world's devices shipped were Android devices. Yep. But people are still building for an iWorld. I mean, yeah, I' sexy, and I people love them, but Android is really where they need to develop. And if we can get that taken care of, that's already got saturation. Then look at things like like the Surface. I think would be a lot better said for everybody.
1: And she, you know, and Don, sorry to jump in here. Don makes an interesting point that yes. Uh, you know as as of the last report there is a there is a gigantic percentage uh, majority for android shipped devices however the reason that it, that things are still developed in the for the iOS store first is because iOS uh, device owning people buy apps at an astronomically greater rate and spend a greater amount of money than Android people do And again if you're going to build an app and you're going to it's going to cost money You're going to make your money on the iOS app store over the Android or, over the Google Play Store by a pretty great margin still I think that that will probably begin to shift But that's why you see stuff developed uh, on iOS first and primarily is because that's where the money is
3: well, oh, and there's cart? another point there with the Android apps, which which causes some of the problems in that uh, just because you put an app on the Android store, it doesn't mean it'll actually work across all platforms of Android, and app developers, Hardware. Android lower uh, app app Android app developers have been much much slower to move across mm-hmm. with every single software update to Android.
1: Right. And, and, again, the hardware fragmentation that comes with the, uh, with the Android world because there's so many different manufacturers making pieces of hardware that run different Android flavors.
0: Though, though, to be fair, and to your point, Bill, it, it, is it the I people are buying more apps because they're willing to spend more money, or is it there are more apps available? I know countless times I've been like, take my money here. Here's sure. my credit card. Give me the app. And it's just not available, so I'm not going to buy that app.
1: Right, it, and I think I think uh, uh, there's a good portion that uh, that of credence lent lent to the fact that the iOS app stores have been out longer, so there's been a greater amount of development availability. The SDKs have been there longer, so there's uh, an advantage to the iOS app store there. And interestingly enough, and in taking this outside of those of us that are you know definitely technology savvy people, the clientele that we have. Uh, overwhelming majority are iOS people, and when we have the Android user, we have the Crestron apps, and we have the the security camera apps that are available on the Google Play Store. I have yet to come across a single client that we've done work for that I needed to load an Android app onto their phone where they didn't have to set up the Google Play Store for the first time because they'd never used it, which baffles (laughs) me. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, I've never never done this. I need a credit card. And I'm like, deep, deep, what?
0: Oh, my God. Who I have
1: never people? run into that with an iOS owner, not one time. And yet every single Android owner is like, I, I have to put a credit card in to put an app on my phone. I'm like, are, are you for real?
2: Well, is is, is that part of it, the fact that, that you almost are forced to when you start a new iOS device, right? And, and I'm not going to get into, you know, the, the, the fascists, you know, versus, you know, free market type thing on, on Apple versus Google. But... Almost immediately, it, it takes you to the the Apple Store, the the iOS Store, and says, "Here, give me your credit card so you can run your device."
1: It, do- it doesn't. Um, that's that's actually not true. It does encourage you to to attach all that stuff together. But frankly, uh, every Android phone built for the last like six years. One of the first things it does when you're powering it up is it says, enter your Gmail account, or if you don't have one, create one here. And people will actually go, no, I'll do that later, and then never get around to it and wonder why their phone doesn't get software updates. Yeah. So it's, it's – the whole thing – yeah, Don, I can see the look on your face. It's fascinating, the, uh, the disparity between the two. I, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to attest it to, you know?
0: Yeah, this shocks me because I, I've never had that problem. But I guess I just hang out with geekier people. We, <laughs> <laughs> there, you know,
1: there is that.
0: Like everyone I know has yeah, that.
2: Yeah, there is definitely that. All right, uh, the other Amazon story. Um, at this point, I don't know who said Amazon's trying to be everything to everyone. Um, so I'm, I'm becoming really, really horrible at this. So I'm going to try an attempt to, to share um the uh the screw it it's not even working now all right screw it uh so amazon uh, a buddy of mine sent me this uh it is called uh amazon services uh i'll put a link on the uh, the show notes when you go to it wherever your zip code is um it will show you where what you can get Uh, Currently up, I have the TV wall mounting near 62002, which is where our studios are located. It's a little town called Alton, Illinois in southwest Illinois. I can purchase a 50-inch display being mounted by someone here locally. Uh, I have a couple of different um, uh, options. Uh, Do I own my own mounting bracket? Yes or no? Should the wires be concealed uh, inside a cord or inside the wall? This, that, and the other. And I click on Add to Cart. Two hundred bucks to get this thing mounted. So, Bill, Mm. as someone (laughs) who who does this for, um, granted this is this is for residential, right? This is not. I don't expect the CEO of Malin It's a local, you know, bigger company or or uh, Monsanto here in St. Louis to do this. Uh, But is this something? Are you concerned about this, or is this something where it would make sense for you to even? jump on board and, and, and sign AV Awakenings up to uh, to the Amazon service?
1: It doesn't fit our business model, so um, we would not join uh, up for this service, nor does it really compete with us specifically specifically. Um, my concern is, and I know that, and I kind of looked into this a little bit, they are contracting, at least when I put my zip code in, mm-hmm. uh, 97034, which is uh, Lake Oswego, Oregon, which is a suburb of Portland. Um, <clears throat> it comes up with the uh, the service pros are using uh, DISH smart home services, as in DISH network, the satellite TV provider. Okay. And it says, background check, licensed and certified top rated performers. Well, are you? I mean, you, you say you are, and that's fine. But... State every individual state has different licensing requirements for low voltage installations and high voltage installations, different licenses, different testing, different supervision, and this to me falls in the uh, in kind of the Best Buy Geek Squad gray area. Um, for example, in the state of Oregon, with a without a low voltage license, you are allowed to do cable TV, telephone, and audio, and you can pull audio like speaker wire. However, you may not do networking, you may not do security, and you clearly can't do anything with high voltage. Also, you can't pull high voltage, like you can't take the, the uh, power cord that comes with the TV. You may not stuff that in the inside the drywall, push it down and pull it out the other side. That, that violates UL, that is a fire code violation, and if you are a licensed person, you get your license pulled for that. In the state of Washington, as an unlicensed person, you may not touch a wire, period. Not one you may not pull a wall plate off as a professional. So say say uh, you send your geek squad guys out to do a TV hang and neither of them hold a license, they're actually not allowed to even connect your cable box to the cable jack that's on the wall because you are connecting wire that's within the, within the wall.
2: Holy cow. And
1: that's, and that's Washington's rule. So my concern with this is they say they're licensed but are they really licensed for that state that they're going to do the work in? And the actual person that comes to your house, is he actually what we would call an LEA, a, a limited energy, a licensed person? Because if they're not and a problem happens, there is uh, the basically the onus is on the client to pay for any sort of repairs or damage that happens from it.
2: Wow. Now, now so it makes me nervous. just just a, just curiosity here, because of your location to the state of Washington, um, do you do much uh, work in there?
1: We do when it, uh, when it makes cost effective sense, not to say that, you know, somebody's money isn't worth more than another person's money, but uh, you know, we're, we're about a 20 minute drive from the Washington border. So we're very, we're very, very close to, to Vancouver. Um, and we have a number of clients that are in Vancouver that we do work with, but, uh, our, you know, we do have business licenses in Oregon and Washington. We do have, uh, limited energy licenses and bonding and insurance in Oregon and Washington. And then our, uh, our lead technician has a limited energy A license in both Oregon and Washington, so that we are legally allowed to go do that. But what's interesting is the dance that we have to do, say we go do a you know a rather ornate system in the state of Washington, I am technically not allowed to connect, say the speaker wire that was pre-wired into the rack. I can build the rack in Oregon, we can ship it there, but Mark, our lead engineer, is the one who actually has to, has to physically make the connectivity from the cables in the wall into the rack. Okay, time out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. it gets crazy complex.
2: Uh, no, which is why this makes me nervous. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I, I've said this before. I, I live in the suburb of St. Louis. Technically, my house is in, in Southwest Illinois. But just like, just like Bill here, we kind of, you know, straddle both, uh, both states. Um, nothing like, like that. So you're doing, to tell me that you're the the actual license holder has to be the person physically connecting the cables.
1: If we want to follow the letter of Washington State's law. Directly to the letter, yes.
2: Okay. Now, you you can claim anonymity. You can claim the Fifth Amendment if you want.
1: Does that always happen? We do our best to make sure that the rule is being followed, at least to the spirit. <laughs> the spirit. I love that. All right. Interesting. I was
0: going to say, Tim, yes. don't, don't clinch too much, because here in Maryland, at least out there, it's on a state-by-state basis. Yeah. Here in Maryland, in my county, there are no licensing requirements whatsoever. In Baltimore County nine miles away you have to have a restricted license for low voltage either for low voltage restricted speakers or low voltage restricted security and then each individual county within the state of maryland has its own requirements not counting doing work in the district of columbia doing work in virginia doing work in west virginia all of which are right here so i feel bills pain times some
2: good night all right. Well, then, Don, then to, to Bill's point on this, is this something that would make even in, any sense in you guys' area, or is it just kind of...
0: This is something that is one of the main reasons my company is shifting its business model. It is every security company, every uh, cabling company, you know, um, structured cabling firm, every anybody that touches wire cable or anything of the sort has been encroaching on AV install. And when I started in the industry 15 years ago, we'd make our bread and butter hanging projectors and screens. Now you can go to Amazon, you can go to Geek Squad, you can go to Kmart practically and say, yes, I'd like this installed and take care of it for me. And it's a hundred bucks and they send out someone licensed and bonded or not and they take care of it for you. So the, this, is why, this is why all of the BLC and the, and the Infocom events, Everybody's been talking about you. Better change your business model. You better rethink how you're yeah. doing AV. This is why. This is a case in, case in point. Why, if you're an integrator watching or listening to this right now, and you're still trying to make your money on markups on equipment and on installation, you need to rethink your business model, or you need to get your resume ready to go work for someone else.
2: Well, all right, uh, Shrago. Let's. We, we've talked about uh, you know licenses and bonds and stuff like that. You live in the world of you know from my point of view you know the the state of regulation uh california so uh what what's it like in your area
3: i'm sorry i couldn't hear you over that trunk slamming
2: yeah oh nice
3: yes. Oh, good night um there's i mean i saw this and i just laughed i laughed hard very 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 hard um and I mean, you talk about regulation. There are actually two licenses that you, in California alone for low voltage and high voltage. So you have the C7, or you just have the C10, and what you're capable of touching on is predictive of that. And then whether or not you're a C10 dictates whether or not you can run conduit, or which if you're not an ele- if you're not a high voltage, how many feet of conduit can you run? And it just gets into this ma- like we're a low voltage contractor, but we can technically pull our bring our own conduit, but we can only do ten feet a day, literally ten feet a day. Okay. So it gets into those kinds of fun things. So you do get into the regulations of it all. And I just uh, you know, this this is one of those things where it's they're trying to cut corners and I appreciate the fact that Amazon is doing something to offer a service to compete against an actual physical location store. I appreciate what they're attempting to do. But unless there's actually going to be some sort of standard applied to this and there's going to be some sort of review process that goes above and beyond a five-star, how are they determining who gets to be on this other than, Hey, sign up to be a service provider, which is exactly what they've offered. There's nothing in here that states that these people are qualified under any circumstances. And it literally will be somebody slamming their trunk possibly on your mount or TV as they arrive at your location.
1: Yep. You
2: know what? We, we, we've we talked about, you know, revenue models for Aviation Nation for, for years now. This is exactly what we should do. Just sign up for the Amazon, you know. Never mind. It was a bad joke, kids. All right. Moving on. Uh, uh, from Innovate, uh, Innovate on the Net. Uh, you know what? We're going to skip that. That was it was an augmented cable that let you cut off the power with a pinch. That was just kind of silly. Um so let's let's step into Mr. Sch world um, first of all, uh, Josh, uh, and then I I'm not, I'm not you know kissing up or, or blowing smoke, uh, but Josh has been writing about net neutrality for good God, 14, 18 months now um, and that's not really a, a stretch you can go on his, on his website soundreason.org and, and type in net neutrality and see all this stuff so about a week ago, actually one week ago yesterday um, two, no, Wednesday No, Thursday. Was it Thursday? I thought it was Wednesday. Mm-hmm. All right, Thursday. Um, the FCC finally came down. They they voted this, that, and the other, and they said, "Yay, we're going to do you know um, net neutrality, and we're going to make you know internet uh, Title II, and this, that, and the other." Um, yeah, that's really great, and you can you can debate uh, from a kind of a fifty thousand foot view, freedom, and all that jazz kind of focal point. But when it comes to AV and when it comes to the way that we kind of do things now, um, it it kind, of, it kind of screwed us <laughs> from, from a, you know from a, a standpoint of you know there's a lot of networking that we do and that, yes, there's a lot of, of, of inter intranet networking that we do, right our own, our own private networks stuff that we put in or we control or we live on somebody else's. But it's the service contracts that you have that say that you're going to maintain your client's uh, AV network, uh, and the way you do that is by dialing in or, 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 you know, tunneling into their network over the over the public network uh, or video conferencing. Where what we're doing now, which is using Google Hangouts, to connect four locations, uh, we're using the public network. Josh, explain, because uh, most of, a lot of my views have come just from listening to you, and I don't agree with all of, all of your views, so let's start there. But at least when it comes to the public network part, explain why this has kind of messed us over.
3: So first, I'm going to stipulate the fact that the 317-page document that was voted on last week and approved at a three to two vote down party lines uh, has not been released yet and is currently in the process of revisions. We don't know what those revisions are going to be. We don't know what will have changed. We just know that it will have changed. That's first and foremost. The second part of that is two weeks before they did that, or three weeks before they did that, they released a four-page summary from Chairman Wheeler, which sort of spelled out what they were trying to do. And you can go online, you can go on my, my website. Um, I've shared it, I, I've discussed it. Um, I wrote about it for Commercial Integrator. There's one stipulation in there that's really, really important to us, which is the fact that there's a statement, and it calls out specifically VoIP, uh, voice over IP, as uh, as one of the identifiers of this. That any signal that exists on a private network but crosses over a public LAN is not susceptible to the Title II regulations. Which means, and, and well, and to. Go even deeper into that it actually states that it cannot interfere with public signals on a public land so that means that all of our point-to-point video conferencing all of our VoIP, all of our business communications any of our remote locations through vlans or vpns or any of that that is an existing private network on a public land will now be deprioritized under everything else that goes across that public network that is literally what is stated uh, in the four page summary we don't know if that's going to change or modify or how that language is going to change until the 317 page document with revisions is released but that is currently the summation of that section of this uh, rules
2: okay and when do you think that that's going to be released
3: we're hoping for the next week or two at this point. It's been a week. Um, it usually they were saying two to three weeks to revise and resubmit, uh, and we'll see what happens um, at this point. So we're but we're already a week in. So I I'm hoping for another week or two at most.
2: Okay. So here's here's the question, and this is this is kind of the roundtable part uh, of this discussion. Based on on that summary, Josh, uh, and we'll start with you on this one. What can integrators uh, what can members of the community, what can manufacturers do to, I guess, protect uh, what we already have uh, or going forward, uh, make sure that, that what we put in is, is still sustainable?
3: Well, it's, it's understanding that utilizing a public, uh, any, any terms of remote uh, possibilities are, are what's where we're going to run into problems here. And this is where we have to start looking at what's products we're specifying and whether or not they are going to be protected. Um, We talk about uh, one one of the companies that has really emerged as a leader in the conferencing world has been BlueJeans in the last um, couple of years. And companies like BlueJeans or Lifesize or Pexip or uh, Avaya, um, companies that are offering a cloud-based conferencing that isn't a point-to-point solution are gonna come out of this in a much stronger fashion than the others due to the fact that you're actually logging into a website or you're logging into a specific location on a public LAN and it's not a point-to-point solution anymore. Now it's utilizing that bridge effect. So looking at those as um, as solutions. So this is gonna hurt companies like Cisco, like Polycom. And I mean, again, I mentioned life-size on both sides of this coin because they offer codec Gear. Yeah. So. That kind of solution is going to be big. It's a little bit more disconcerting when you think about remote login from, uh, for a, 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 um, a rural client. So somebody that you if you have to roll a truck 300 miles in, in the state of Texas first is the first one that comes to mind because I've heard stories from there more than any place else about that one office way out there and Texas is the major cities with a whole lot of desert in between. Um, you're going to be seeing a lot more issues with potentially having to get out there. Now, as I say this, and I don't want to be a fear in this, yes, we are not protected. That doesn't mean we won't be able to communicate with it. It just means that under the certain conditions where the bandwidth of the network is at max capacity or is running at a higher level, we will, not be, we will be the first things to go if they not, need to find additional traffic. Say,
2: not go, but not be prioritized.
3: Yeah, we will be the first thing knocked off the network, slowed down. There you uh, go. We're not protected from throttling. I mean, that's one of the things that this this build that this rule does is it protects you from throttling. We're not protected from that. So, imagine that for a digital signage aspect where you're trying to stream content from one point to another across a public uh, across a, a private network but via public uh, cabling. There you go. Now your streaming to digital signage is now going to be throttled or capable of being throttled. And the fact that it's not protected also means that the ISPs can do whatever they want. So if they want to start charging you because you're doing this, they have that capability. So now, so now, we're, now it goes to a point of not only are we not protected under the rules of Title II and have to be treated equally and fairly along with all other content on the network. Now all of those ISPs that are providing us those connections can come and say, so you want to do your video conferencing? here you want to do that well you know i could break your knees or you could pay me 50 bucks you know it's Jeez. it's that kind of a deal of they can they do they are being they put are in not
2: the position.
3: mafia no. <laughs> they I'm control tra- the gateway for i'm you trying to, send signals.
2: to protect you from being fear-mongering and they're not the mafia i know
3: um, but again it's 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 the overreaching point in yes. the the caricature of the point that theoretically they could come to Us, because we are not treated as content providers, is an AV service provider. They could go to those businesses and say, if you want your video conferencing to be treated fairly, you have to pay more. That, Because it is not protected under these rules. They have that capability. And that's where all of this turns into a massive, massive mess. And as you and I talked to many people at the BLC, and you heard me give the spiel over and over and over, educating one after the next as to what was about to happen – you saw the jaws drop. You saw the people – I mean, again, I make the joke about the, the gentleman who's, whose face turned white, called over his, his sales manager and said, repeat it. Why didn't anybody tell me this? And we go through that fact of I tried. I tried so hard for over a year to, to, to uh, bring this to the AV community. And a lot of people listened. We got – the listeners and the the readers were wonderful and people have been responsive. Now, what can we do about it? We can band together and and we can utilize groups like NSCA and Infocom. And I know NSCA was uh, – Rachel over there who who works uh, as part of the government advocacy group and, and government watchdog part of NSCA. She was adamant of what can we do, what do we go from here, what's the next step? And my response is generally wait. We, there's nothing we can do because we don't actually know what the what the rules say yet. Yeah, we yeah, have an yeah. es- we have an estimate, but we don't know. So. This is where all this comes in, and and they did bring this up at the NSCA BLC, and and again, Infocom is another group that we can go to uh, talk. I mean, sending letters. to A lot of people are saying send a, send a notice to your congressman, and I know Congress is trying to find ways to block this from happening at this point. They're still looking for ways uh, to prevent this.
2: And let's be honest, they they could. I mean, that the, the the FCC is not. They're not a monolith in and of themselves. They are. A they're subject to Congress. They the Congress could pass a law that says, you know, X, Y and Z. So that's entirely possible.
3: Congress is trying and Congress had two bills, one in each house, uh, one, one in the House and one in the Senate that was attempting to strip the FCC's ability to regulate this prior to the passing of this rule.
2: Yeah, And the, my only problem with that is that if they do that, then it, it strips the title, too.
3: And, you know, it's it, it's it's a can of worms that just keeps getting bigger. Yeah. All
2: right, Don
0: and, that, and that's my point is, and Josh, I mean, I defer to you as the expert. I got a lot of my education on this from reading Josh, from talking to Josh. Um, I, I tell people all the time, go see Schrago. He's the expert on this. Um, but my understanding is that in a way we kind of wanted this rule to pass because the alternative is they throttle everybody and they charge everybody that, you know, like the, the rule passing is a win for a free internet so to speak a, a rule for a, a less restricted internet but at the same time it still bones the av industry yeah. and you know it's like we're in a lose-lose situation so which is the lesser evil for us to back until we can grab some lawmakers and educate them on what exactly they're doing because probably josh if you got in front of them and educated them as to what they're doing they would go white and their jaws would drop and say oh, we're impacting big business in a major way and Comcast and whoever else, that they're not the only ones out there affected by this. We thought it was just them.
3: And it's I funny you should say that. <laughs> uh, and it's funny you should say that because of the fact that, as was announced on AV Nation this week, on actually yesterday, I will be going to NAB to attend Chairman Wheeler's presentation this year. Also in that announcement was the fact that through partnerships and means i was able to send three questions to be vetted by chairman wheeler's people whether or not they're selected and whether or not they are answered is an entirely different question but over the course of the next three weeks i will release each of those questions as to what i asked uh what i asked on behalf of the av industry to try and inform them of what is going on so we managed to get lucky and get the right people to listen and pay attention, and now it's just can we keep getting lucky and get to that next step and get that get those questions actually asked before the rules are finalized. Again, we're in the revision process. If one of these questions triggers an issue, we could actually change the rules to protect us. It's whether or not we can get it there in time. And one of the fa- one of the questions I actually do ask. Um, which I'll be releasing does come into play of how all of that goes. So hopefully we can get those questions answered and whether or not we can get it in front of the right people, but we're trying.
2: Yeah. And and just for clarification, we didn't get lucky. You worked your tail off. So uh, to you, Uh, Mr. Reynolds, are you, are you concerned about this at all? Is this something that that's in your, in your, uh, in your scope?
1: It may or may not be. And, you know, as, as Josh alluded to, there are a lot of things that we still don't quite know. Um, you know, and and Don makes a, a perfectly salient point that overall net neutrality is something we all wanted because what we don't want is we don't want a tiered pay-to-play internet, and let's not misunderstand the difference between net ne- net neutrality and you pay more. You you know you pay Comcast, for example, forty bucks for. 20 meg internet you pay them 60 bucks for 50 meg internet that's not the same thing as the pay to play that net neutrality yeah. is, is addressing whatsoever they're completely different and i think most of us understand that but i wanted to throw that out to make sure that there there wasn't any misunderstanding there i don't know how much it will affect custom residential or custom commercial integrators like us um you know we we absolutely you uh, leverage vpns uh to remotely connect to a client's uh location for Troubleshooting, remote reboot, software updates, things of that nature, but they're usually uh, pretty limited bandwidth and limited duration. So, and you know, your your mileage may vary on how your how you as an integration company use that or not. Uh, we have a we have a single office location, and then we do have a secure VPN into the office from all of our homes, and we move some data back and forth there. I don't know if it's going to affect us or not. I'm I'm hoping not. But I've been a big proponent of net neutrality as long as we don't have these ugly little caveats and loopholes that apparently there is potential for a gigantic one right here. Uh, And I know that uh, both of uh, my senators from the state of Oregon have been pretty active in the in the net neutrality fight. And um, I don't know, it's it's probably worth uh, continuing to uh, submit information and opinions to both of them as, you know, Senator Ron Wyden has been very, very strong on net neutrality. And uh, it might be worth, you know, continuing to try and contact his office and uh, and and give our perspective as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. One person I, I actually just thought of this, uh, Josh, that that I want I need to hook you up with, and that's Stu from from IEG, uh, who's a huge. If you're not familiar with IEG, it's, it's a it's a good network AV networking company um, that we've seen at at least the last almost every show the last last year or so. So uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting. So you're going to see. Uh, you're going to see chairman wheeler in about a month at least gonna at least sit in on the on the conference NAB is is the middle of of april so cool all right um <laughs> yeah it, here's the thing guys it's, it's a deep subject uh it's a subject that i mean I'm, I'm, I'm with bill I, I have i have supported net neutrality uh from the basis of you know not having a pay-to-play not having um us, you know, we're, we're, you know, AV Nation, is we're a content provider, right? Uh, had net neutrality not passed and, and not been protected, there was the, the possibility that we, we could be charged a monthly fee, a yearly fee from Comcast, from, you know, uh, Charter, which is which is my local provider here in St. Louis, from, from Time Warner, whoever, for providing you uh, uh, the content that we do. So from that aspect and just from the free and open aspect, uh, I've supported it. But yeah, let's let's make sure that we at least get uh, get our Congress people up and running, and, and make sure that they're educated. So, <laughs> oh, don't snicker at that. It's not my fault. You have Feinstein. All right.
3: <clears throat> <laughs> Moving
1: on. <laughs> Moving
2: on. Uh, you know what, guys? That, that that's going to do it for us. Uh, it's been a month since I've been in this studio, and so uh, we've uh, we've been back and forth from Amsterdam to Tampa with the BLC and the set and the other. So we're going to we're going to wrap this up at 40. Bill, I appreciate it, sir. You 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 uh you uh our buddy George Tucker hooked me up with you, so thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. It's been a genuine pleasure. Uh,
2: where can people find you or AV awakenings?
1: www.avawakenings.com. We are located in Portland, Oregon. Uh, primarily residential custom integrator, do a little bit of light commercial uh, when our arms are twisted behind our backs hard enough.
2: All right. Uh, also with us is Miss Dawn Mead from AV. Thank you, ma'am.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Folks want to find me. I'm on Twitter at AV Dawn. Very exciting. If you go to avnation.tv, check out the AV social link. I'm one of the hosts of the AV social podcast for marketing and social media. And our newest show just dropped where we had the opportunity to speak with Peter Shankman, who is a marketing and PR genius. Uh, He's written four books. The whole point of this interview was we talked about his latest book, zombie loyalists using great service to create uh you know your your loyal army and um you know he he's a genius and i'm so i'm still fangirling about the fact that kelly and i got to sit with him for most of half an hour 45 however long it was and talk with him about this book so uh check it out and my own company is net av and give me about another week and we'll have our brand new website up Yay. But it's net-av.com, NetAV here in Maryland.
2: Yeah, good, good job on getting Shankman, and you guys did a really good job. So, uh, And Dawn's still blushing from, from talking to Shankman. So. Uh, all right, Mr. Schrago, thank you, sir.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Where, can people find, where can't people find you at this point?
3: Uh, you and I were talking about this earlier today. When I finally did the count, I think I have eight live articles floating around the Internet just this week. Um. Somehow everything landed this week. It was just really amusing. Uh, but you can find me at the Twitter uh, at j.srego. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me uh, on Commercial Integrator, Infocom All Voices, Infocom Certification Steering Committee. Uh, you can find me. Oh God, AV Nation. Um, I'm I'm still technically the editor, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and coming soon, you will you will find me um, in Las Vegas at NAB. Uh, attempting to hunt down Chairman Wheeler and uh, have a very, very brief conversation before men in black throw me in a car and hand me a shovel.
2: You know what? They won't do that. They'll, they'll, they typically, you know, dig the grave for you, don't they? they
3: that's, that's, I don't know. I, I figured I'd stick with my mob mentality. That's,
2: that's my, they, no, no, we, we you know, we, we pay good taxes for you to be, to, for you to get your own grave dug. So, oh. uh, um, well, I, I and Mr uh, Mr Tucker uh, George Tucker you know the right side of my brain uh sent me a, a note uh as we were congratulating our buddy Matt Scott on uh, on their uh he, he and his wife's uh, first child uh is to remind him the the joys that that are awaiting him because George was supposed to be on this call and and he uh, he got ill from <laughs> from uh from his uh, his offspring so uh you know Matt that's something you have to look forward to so Uh, My name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me because at this point I'm grousing about the Bears getting rid of Brandon Marshall. Um, Go by the website, though. Uh, An awful lot of people do an awful lot of really hard work. At this point, I'm just the pretty face of A.V. Week. Uh, Josh does a ton of work. Don does. uh, George, a ton of people do a really great job. So go by the website, avnation.tv. Avnation.tv, you will find this program and a host of others. Don mentioned the brand new uh, av social with Mr. Shankman. Uh we have a special up there that we did with Chuck Wilson uh at the NSCA last week. Uh next week uh we're recording a new ed tech and a new state of control. So yeah, all kinds of good stuff. And some uh some new bloggers uh coming down the pipeline. Um four, three, three new bloggers. Josh says three new bloggers and he would be the person to know. So three new bloggers coming down the pipeline the next couple weeks. So check them out. Let them know what you think. Uh, Some really great folks in the industry. So thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. This has been AV Week.